solid data, model, and problem understanding. Who this? The AI product manager. How do you handle failure when an AI model gets its prediction incorrect? How can product managers use AI as a tactic to solve problems? I'm Alex and you're listening to the Applied AI Pod. In this episode, we're going to cover the concept of AI product management from Adnan Boz. Adnan is founder of the AI Product Institute in Silicon Valley, a lead AI product manager at eBay, an ex-Yahoo product manager, as well as entrepreneur. Enjoy the talk. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Adnan, for, uh, for accepting uh, to talk with us uh, in our podcast. Exciting catching you for, for such a real talk. Um, what does a lead AI product manager at eBay does? And uh, how is life leading products at scale for billions of users? Uh, do you feel any pressure at all? Uh, it, it, thank you. Thank you for having me, first of all. And it is really exciting times, actually, to be around, uh, especially when AI is exponentially growing. And that also puts a lot of responsibility on product managers, uh, since we are in a very pivotal role. And it's exciting. I like it. Wonderful. And um, you, you recently founded the AI Product Institute in the Bay Area. Uh, why did you, do, did you found the AI Product Institute and what do you aim to achieve with the, this initiative? Is this your moonshot to the world? Uh, just a note to our listener, uh, a moonshot is a commitment to solve a real problem. Uh, that you do it uh, in a 10x way while the others are just doing 10%? Oh, that's a, that's a great question, Alexandra. Uh, yes, it, it, is, it is a moonshot, I would think. It is a, a bigger purpose. It's not just a course. If you think about it from voice assistance to automobiles and online shopping, the product managers touch the lives of billions of people. And this makes product managers actually very pivotal in human advancement. If you think about it, they have hands on every bit of product you see today, you use today. And a product manager who knows how to utilize AI and artificial intelligence so can change the world, I think, for better. So t- take, for example, the car industry, right? In the US alone, there are about 115 million commuters. And these people spend every day 53 minutes on average commuting. If you just grasp the size of the lost human time here and the effort, it's tremendous. Therefore, a product manager who works on self-driving cars, for instance, uh, has actually a bigger, bigger impact than you would think. It's not just a fancy technology, but it's a, it's a tool that creates more time for humanity to use their intelligence, uh, intelligence so they can advance. And the bigger goal is here, of course, to empower these product managers so they can advance in their career and also create AI products for the world and change the world for the better. Um, that's very uh, exciting for you. And I, I'm sure it's very hard to, to, to embark on such a mission because it's for sure no easy job to uh, educate or to prepare the AI product managers for such a heavy, complex, and, um, you know, responsible role. Because, um, you know, building AI project involves having AI experts, having domain experts, but also bringing cross-functional teams together 
So I think the, the role of the AI product manager is really very hard. Um, how are you actually trying to prepare them? Do you have a curriculum that you follow or how is the process going? When, for example, I would like to follow the AI Product Institute uh, course. What does a regular process uh, look like? Yeah, gr great question. And that's actually the first thing people ask. What does, uh, what does the AI Product Manager do? Or what's the process they have to do different than non-AI products? And basically, the whole AI product management is built upon the basic fundamental product management concept. So a regular product manager understands the environment, the customer, understands the market, and then understands also the team, uh, then actually comes up with the vision, then creates a roadmap, talks with the teams, uh, creates, uh, creates a scope, and then follows through the execution. And of course, uh, keeps up with the maintenance later on. Uh, it, it is in that terms, it is no different. The, the difference of AI on top of the regular product management skill is that the AI the AI itself is a different product than usual product in terms of it's a search. Uh, in a regular product, you would actually define the specification, then start developing the product, and it is there is no ambiguity. It's pretty clear what you're doing, what you're developing. It's pretty rule-based. And uh, take, for example, any product you use your cell phone. It most probably has specs to the, <laughs> to the, all to the detail. Similarly, in e-commerce, we specify all the features, all the UIs you see beforehand. Now, in AI products, I said it's a search. You're, you don't have actual specification for most of the things. You just have a goal. For example, when I was working at Yahoo, our goal was to increase user engagement, let's say by 20%. Uh, that is users reading more news articles on Yahoo website. Now, given this goal, now you're searching for a AI solution which, which can satisfy this requirement. And there is no rule. Uh, there is nothing really you, you can program. What you do, you collect a lot of data. And then you use this data to train ML models that can actually satisfy this goal. And it's a constant search. You create one ML model, which may give 5%. Later, you tune it a little more, it gives 10%. And you keep, to, uh, you keep actually training it until you achieve this. This difference alone uh, constitutes a paradigm shift in the product itself, in the team structure, uh, as well as the execution, the whole methodology. And you start, you start uh, first, you start actually by looking for AI opportunities in the, in the business. Uh, compared to non-AI products, uh, you, don't, you don't usually do that. Uh, the, the problem is already given. Here, uh, you look at AI opportunities, uh, let's say automation opportunities or expansion opportunities. Then once you find the AI opportunity, uh, you, you actually use something in design sprint. It's a common framework or method and there's even a really good book about it this the, the sprint book it's from google ventures so you can use design sprint to actually prove your idea that your idea is a viable solution that customers want hmm. then, uh, on this note um mm -hmm. what practice of the design sprints do you normally recommend because they have 
all sorts of version that you have the short version which is now mm -hmm. uh, four days or something like four that days. yeah uh, and you have the longer version what was the version that was most successful uh, applied to, to your product so there is there is never a one size fits all solution even even when i say design sprint uh, every team is different every company is different every project and product is different so you have to the as a product manager you have to fine tune and retrofit things the way the way you it's needed so design sprint five day works good if you have uh, if you have everybody committing to your uh, to five days but if people cannot commit uh, four days works as well the important part is that people get together and can share different perspectives in a in a very structured way and then people can express their express their perspective on sketches and as well as all this information is validated on uh, on the customers in five days any other methodology will not allow you to validate in five days uh, any other methodology will actually take about a month even business model canvas i did it so many times it takes weeks to get to a point where you can go and start validating uh, validating your solution. There's a lot of brainstorming going on. Uh, but the, the beauty of Design Sprint is that if you can gather everybody in five days, it's good. Otherwise, four days is even even faster. And it gives you good uh, good validation from the customers. So that's the Design Sprint part. It doesn't apply to every company, of course. You have to kind of fine-tune your methodology. But then this, uh, once you get that, it is good to do a requirement analysis to understand how does that information map to your KPIs. Could be your business KPIs. It could be something you found on the customer side you have to sell on or any KPI you identify. Because here's the thing. You can maybe work with quantitative metrics in regular products. You can make something more beautiful, more fun. You don't have to really mathematically prove that it is more fun. And you may run later empirical studies, but uh, you basically uh, can use just quantitative, uh, qualitative, qualitative metrics. But in AI products, you have to use quantitative metrics because models are mathematical equation which requires numbers in there. So if you say, red versus yellow you cannot train an ml model on red versus yellow you have to say red is one yellow is two then it just starts mm -hmm. making sense good point indeed yeah. does an ai product manager need to know statistics in this uh, sense uh a little uh, not i wouldn't say in the machine learning part but i would say when you do experimentation a b testing you need to know statistic in that terms Otherwise, the machine learning part, I think it is data science work. And I did, I did a lot of data science work in the industry trained models, but that's something I don't do at work anymore. Because data scientists who studied eight years, six years, this Absolutely. topic. Absolutely. And you can, a product manager can never reach that point unless they spend the same amount of time. And even they do at that point, the data scientists will have actually 12 years of experience. So it, it, it's not possible. That's why I always suggest product managers not to be the engineer or the data scientist technical guy, but be the guy who connects things uh, in the whole process. Good, good advice, yeah. Yeah, so the process, the methodology I'm using goes actually further 
uh, I can just name them, don't have to go into detail maybe. Uh, then you go into an ML experimentation cycle where, the data, where you work with the data scientists. Then once ML experimentation is in, in the constant loop, you go into rapid development cycle where you work with the engineers to develop the solution because no machine learning solution uh, lives in empty space, empty void. So it has to sit on some engineering solution. Then you go to the last stage, which is the experimentation. That is where you do empirical evidence, gather empirical evidence like A-B testing or M-A-B testing. On, uh, on this note, uh, what's the AI product manager's role in creating safe AI solutions? Because nowadays everyone is talking about safety, fairness, and bias. <laughs> correct, correct. Of course, if it applies. Uh, so, I mean, in every product manager's back of their mind, has to be this question, is my AI solution impacting lives in large? Uh, is, it, is it actually touching any lives? Then uh, with that, you can start thinking of a risk management frame, a risk management plan. So any safety issue or any privacy issue you, or security issue, you can, you can find a place in a risk management framework. And risk management frameworks today provide much more in-depth in-depth analysis, what the problem could be. It, it doesn't have to be like safety, it could be even a, a brand risk, it could affect your brand image, right? Or it could affect any part of your business, uh, monetary or non-monetary. So uh, you, have to, you have to come up with a risk management strategy and safety, security, privacy can be part of that. And the, the way you develop a risk management framework, it's usually a couple of steps. You identify the risk, you assess the risk, then you control the risk, uh, then you actually keep monitoring the risk. So if you think of these four steps, and when you assess a risk of safety, you should look after it. But here's also the thing, it is sometimes just a buzzword in the news. If your application doesn't have any privacy, uh, re relation to privacy, then you don't have privacy concerns, right? But of course, if you're, providing products for millions of people and collecting actually a lot of data from millions of people, then you have to start thinking what's the privacy problem. If you're storing data which is, uh, which is actually needs to be secured, then you have security issues. So you have to come up with a risk management plan, then identify what's the risk and uh, mitigate it or uh, control it. Yes, sounds dramatic. You've mentioned earlier that the, you, were, you see the product manager as a connector. Uh, in this whole AI story, not necessarily the one that should be the engineer uh, behind everything. Uh, that takes me to the fact that the organizational alignment, the duplication of effort and uh, uh, the ability of model to be able to reproduce it are some of the major ch challenges when you use uh, machine learning. Uh, certainly no easy problems for sure, but any ideas on how can we address uh, these problems? So your question is how to, how to make the models more uh, generalizing or, or how the engineers can provide better infrastructures to models, these models to run? Towards both of the aspects. One is towards how we can build this infrastructure so we don't create mm -hmm. duplicated effort. We are able to reuse our models mm -hmm. and um, everyone in the company is aligned mm -hmm. to this as a practice itself mm -hmm. and also to, to the first point you mentioned. 
very valid point. And what I see in the industry is that today, a lot of companies struggle with that, especially companies who have bigger data science, that have bigger data science teams and they create models very frequently. I wouldn't say smaller companies that have only one data scientist, I bet their own machine is enough to store all the models. But at the size of eBay, for example, where you have thousands of models and uh, hundreds of data scientists working on different solutions, you, you need a platform, what we name AI platform. And AI platforms provide you the infrastructure, provides you the platform and infrastructure where you can uh, run ML experiments, that's machine learning training, and then store these models somewhere and provide structured information to these models so everybody can understand what these models are about. Then also take these models to production easily and fast so you can run these models, what we name inferencing or model scoring in production environment. And there are platforms such as uh, Amazon provides it, uh, SageMaker is actually a good platform, but still you have to do a couple of stuff to store your models. Google came up with AI Hub, and they, you can actually train your models, then see all the training, then push them to production. And different companies actually started uh, creating their own solution, as well as there are third-party solutions, like AI platform solutions you can, you can buy if you don't have time to develop or uh, if it's not feasible to rent from somewhere else. And what we do, uh, basically, our goal is to increase data scientists' productivity so they don't search too much, they don't spend too much time on searching for data. Today, what we see is that the biggest time uh, waste is on finding the right, right data in these big companies. And they don't spend too much time on data find, finding the data. They don't spend too much time on the, how to run their ML models training. So providing them simple tools like Jupyter Notebook, where environments where they can train. But at the same time, all these environments utilizes the hardware infrastructure of the company let's say GPUs, CPUs, uh, in Google says TPUs. And, and they don't have to write code, extra code, uh, to develop these pipelines or extra uh, GPU code uh, to actually uh, train these, but use really Python and their best, uh, their best productive tools. Then, of course, we provide uh, tools to store these models. It's like a Git repository. And today, software engineers use Git repository to share their, share their knowledge and store, actually secure their code. Uh, similarly, um, in model management, you don't use Git. I mean, people can use Git, but uh, there are better alternatives uh, to store models where you actually know when you look at the model, you need to know where the data is coming from and who, develop, who developed it and what was the initial idea and uh, what is the model framework uh, or what are all the aspects of the model, right? You, you need to store it with the model so you can refer back and see where the model is coming from. So you can create new version of the model and compare these models to each other. Which in software engineering is different. You don't write new code and compare to the old code. It's just, right? So you just go forward. But in model development, you constantly do this comparisons, going back and seeing which one is better. Then, of course, finally, to get this to production. I think that is the biggest industry, going to be biggest industry. 
modern model development, the question is how do I get this model behind my product? Uh, let's say you have a cell phone. There is a face, uh, there's a face up, which actually opens the, maybe the phone through uh, face recognition. So how do you, you train maybe the model, there are maybe hundred data scientists developing these models. And now the question is, how do you put it in a phone? Like how do you secure it? How do you deploy it? How do you update it? Like these are all different, different questions which we never had. And companies like uh, Amazon, Google, Apple, they're, they're creating these new inferencing systems. Even Amazon has their inferencing accelerator named Inferentia, I think. Uh, they created a new whole new uh, processing units just to do uh, inferencing. So I think this area will, will grow exponentially. And we provided eBay as well the solution to our data science. That's uh, quite an interesting concept. I've heard it uh, very recently being mentioned quite a lot, inferencing systems. So yeah. this is a mental note for our listeners to tap into this uh, uh, term and have a read uh, about it because uh, this will for sure be the future uh, in the immediate uh, uh, period. You mentioned Python. That takes me to a funny story that I actually saw you posted uh, some time ago. Uh, you mentioned uh, something like this, and uh, I start quoting. A Dilbert moment. I asked a senior marketing PM from uh, one of the leading online food delivery companies for their business strategy, and he answered, recommendation engine. I'm surprised he didn't say Python, end quote. Uh, have things changed around since you last posted this and are people understanding more uh, AI's contribution now or understanding it better? Correct. So that's, yeah, that's a real funny story. Uh, it really happened. Now, and uh, it turned out that they need a sales team. So interesting. <laughs> so they didn't, uh, they wanted to increase sales. That was their goal. And recommendation engine, they thought, is the solution. And here's the thing with recommendation engines. Recommendation engine doesn't, it doesn't lead user acquisition. It's more like down the funnel, if you think of the marketing funnel, it is to increase more engagement and maybe sell more products, but it cannot acquire more users. In order to acquire users, you have to do marketing sales, especially B2B, you have to do sales. So that was a really interesting situation. Uh, today, I hope it is better. I didn't consult businesses since then uh, because I joined eBay. I'm doing more, uh, more internal work at eBay. And, but uh, I hear that from, uh, from different conferences, uh, people are more interested actually to, uh, to, to develop a solution which provides sustainable profitability to their company. And that's the key word actually, sustainable profitability. And your company, if you have a company, your, your goal is not to actually develop some technology to use in your product. Your goal is actually create a viable business. And, and once you create a startup, you know actually what, what this really means. And uh, I see more and more companies get aligning with that. And I see that, uh, I heard that I read on, on the internet about 80% of uh, mid-sized companies are seeking to uh, somehow integrate with some AI solution, actually use intelligence in their products. At least the consumers push for that. And today we expect more and more intelligent products. And I mean, 10 years ago, I wouldn't think turning on my light just by talking to it. Uh, today, uh, 
I talk to Amazon voice assistants and sometimes it doesn't understand me. And you get actually angry and say, why is it not understanding? So your expectations are over the roof if you compare 10 years ago. And uh, in fact, I go sometimes somewhere, the trash can doesn't open. I just wave my hand, it doesn't open. I don't understand why it's not opening. <laughs> so especially the new age, I think, new, new generation it will be very weird for them not to have these intelligence objects and gadgets around. Because you've mentioned this basic ex expectation haven't changed across the years. Uh, in product manager, management, we're used uh, to the Kano model, where we split everything by three layers of expectation and the features that you build. Uh, if sometime, I'll compare this to, to the hotel industry, because for example, when you go into a hotel, you, your basic expectation is that you'll have warm water, you have a good bed to sleep on, and you'd have light and so on and so forth. Change completely. And it's interesting because we need to adapt is the, to these new expectations. And I'm not, okay. I'm not sure if everyone is adapting because this story you, you finally posted on Twitter with you know, the expectation of recommendation and engine being falsely interpreted. It's like, I, I found the same story. Uh, I encountered mm -hmm. the same story. Uh, but do you feel that things have been are taken more seriously now in the sense that AI is not seen as a uh, proof of concept or prototype in a company, but more as a, a horizontal layer to be considered in a company now, rather than just a vertical layer? Correct. So what I see in the industry, uh, at least from where I stand, is that uh, people started uh, taking the customer asks, the customer expectations, and started looking for those intelligent solutions. And for example, shipping, like many e-commerce companies do shipping. And it turned out that uh, people expect now, the sh uh, now an estimate. So you go to UPS, you go to FedEx, and even you go to your Amazon website. When you order something, or before even ordering, you want to see an estimation. And we don't like the estimation of uh, 3 to 20 days anymore, which is <laughs> very vague. So uh, it's so interesting that the consumer expectation uh, drives more and more intelligence into the companies. Now, shipping companies started integrating this uh, shipping estimate based on machinery models, based on historical data of all shippings that happened uh, to different locations. The machinery models can actually, actually uh, predict how long it's going to take in a certain time of the year and in certain conditions when it snows uh, if you think about it it's a really complicated problem it's not that easy although the for the consumer it's, it's maybe just a number there it's really hard to do that so companies started i see that start taking these consumer expectations into their products and implementing it that's really good to be so human-centered to consider and build them and integrate them into into our products in a human-centered way so that's a good thing i would say we've all seen the label with ai or without ai as a business in general but um i'm not every company is ready to to implement ai in its product in its services or processes uh the reason is this disconnection between the business uh, the engineering side and the uh, AI sci science uh, domain. Why do you think that we still have this disconnection happening? Oh, and is, how could we solve it faster? Mm -hmm. That's a great point. In fact, right now, it is the biggest problem. I see in, in the company I work, as well as in the industry, the 
the business the business people actually have one purpose actually one thought in mind how to create a sustainable uh, and uh, profitable business on the other hand the data scientist's goal is actually train a model to fit the uh, to fit a model actually to the data and the target goal and uh, so it actually the, the metrics are like accuracy f1 score and those kind of things so this is the language they talk and and they don't think about how this is going to run in production or how this can even uh, run on some other hardware than what they're doing on their own laptop. On the other hand, engineering thinks only one thing. How can I create software which is scalable, reliable, and, and works perfectly in, in, this, in the given condition? And they also don't talk the same language. Uh, their, their metrics are about QPS or SLAs and other things. Now. And this gap was before between engineering and business, before until now. And I've seen this 25 years ago, still see that. And now there's a third, a third piece, a third leg to the equation, and now the data science came to the picture. And the way to gap these different aspects is, is to have a product manager in your team who can, who can understand all these three different metrics, and then uh, Create, a, uh, create actually uh, additional metrics which goes across teams. So translate business metrics into um, machine learning metrics, translate those metrics into engineering metrics and kind of uh, figures out, uh, makes trade-offs at certain points. And it is really difficult to convince these different domains otherwise. It is really difficult to explain F1 score to, uh, to the CEO or so VP, and because for them the metrics are, okay, the user count. For example, at Yahoo, our business metric was ARPDAU, average revenue per daily active users. And you can find different metrics in every different industry. Ads have their own. And even marketing has their own, like the coupon redemption rate, LTV, uh, lifetime value, etc. Now, uh, that doesn't have anything to do with the F1 score or with any other metric, even with, the, uh, with QPS from engineering. So what we do, we take these metrics, we know what is most important for these different aspects, then we translate these metrics. Now let's assume the uh, average daily per active users uh, is a metric for business. You cannot train an ML model based on daily active users because the change in daily active users is not that huge. So in a year, you may change 10% if it's, unless you're exponential growing startup, of course, but in a larger company, the numbers are much more lower. So you cannot train a model. You need like 10 years of data to, to make, it, make, it mean, make it work maybe. But here's the thing, you have to train a model which can improve there or there. So you need, something we call short-term metrics compared to these long-term metrics. Like in order to come up with short-term metrics, you have to do correlation analysis, figure out what data or what other metric correlates to this long-term metric. And then you come up maybe with, um, I don't know, user clicks, maybe CTR divided by total number of users. You can come up with complicated things or you can create a model. You can model it literally. And that is something uh, product managers to work with data scientists and engineers to come up with these new metrics and then keep track of these metrics, of course. 
certainly no easy job for a product manager. It gets more and more complicated than we started the conversation. Now we add up uh, the layer of, you know, you really need to dig up your data and be aware of it mm -hmm. and be mm -hmm. aware of any correlation analysis, which is crucial for uh, being tackling ML. Uh, mm -hmm. a, funny, a funny question. Would you rather learn a new skill, any skill, playing piano, football, whatever, or would you prefer to train an AI to play it? Interesting question. Okay. <laughs> so in terms of learning a skill, learning is a lifelong journey. So that's a, a different satisfaction more than uh, just programming your own body and brain. That is pretty much what learning a new skill means. And there is, there is, if there is utility expectation, let's say you learn a skill to, you want to build a house, and you decide to build it on your own because it's maybe cheaper. So that's totally rational utility. In that case, of course, teaching a robot or something like that would make much more sense. But if I'm doing it for pleasure, there is no utility in it. And then, of course, of course, this is for my own pleasure and I will do it. I will learn it. Perfect, perfect. I'm not sure we're there yet in the, this age where we would uh, prefer the AI to do the job for us or learn for us, but it's certainly something that I see happening in 10 years from now, for example. Uh, and because it um, takes me to the next question. You've been part of the launch team for Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler's The Future is Faster Than You Think, uh, which is their book part of the Exponential Technologies uh, technology series. How was that experience for you? And are there any learnings worth sharing? Yes, so it was a, uh, it, it was a good experience in terms of, well, they, they shared the book, uh, the early version of the book. So you get to know, get to know, uh, get to understand and read the book earlier. And then the biggest uh, contribution, I think, is that you can uh, put comments on the book. Which, which impacts the final version of the book. I think that is the best part. And it is more giving than getting. So being contributing to, uh, to their cause, uh, adding more value. If you see something which, uh, which, which you believe, which you can prove that's not valid or it can maybe improve or add any idea, maybe you can insert your ideas there. I think in that terms, it, it's, it's a great experience. Otherwise, uh, the communication and the being a part of the group, I think that's, uh, that's standard. I mean, you, you just join the group and you read the book and you, book, you put comments on it. Thank you so much, uh, Anne. And uh, I think your contribution to the Applied AI pod is quite a meaningful one. Great. Thank you for giving the opportunity, Alexandra. It was great, great talking to your audience. Thank you for listening to the AI product management episode. Tune in to our next episodes for more real AI talks. Subscribe for a fresh episode notifications and don't forget, tell a friend about it.